What is up? Welcome to No Pun Intended, presented by Club Fantasy. Ryan Weiss back in the host seat while Joe Zolo is out having a real job. The 2023 fantasy football season is over. Championships have been won. Hopefully payouts have been received. Grievances have been aired. And January is a time for accountability. We are going to take a look back at our 2023 team-by-team predictions and figure out what went wrong. We have six teams for you today. Let's get into it. Welcome to No Punt Intended, presented by Club Fantasy. Ryan Weiss hosting with you tonight. No Joe Zello as we take a look back at the 2023 season, but with me, as always, Josh Hudson. Josh, how are you this evening? Ah, oh, doing great. It's been a, it's the second day off in a row that I've had, so I'm My kind of like, all right, you know, usually Wednesdays are my first day off of the week. This one's the second, so I'm like, all right, we're easing you're into well, it. So feeling a well little rested, rested and uh, rejuvenated, to say the least. So No, I yeah, love it. Uh, doing good. So Josh, um, one of the things I, I think I compliment you about this every January, it seems like Joe does need a show off like every January, because I feel like I'm talking to you about this. <laughs> one of the things I love about the culture you've created at club fantasy is we are all about accountability. As soon as I started writing with you guys, I added an accountability section to my streams of the week. And we like to look back and figure out what we did, right. But more importantly, what we did wrong. And that sounds like, you know, we're making jokes and this, that, and the other. But you can learn a lot by what went wrong in the season, Josh. And that's what we're going to take a look back at today, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, this is uh, going back to all of our off-season team preview shows and kind of breaking everything down, like the calls that we made, the explanations we gave. Now we've got a full season of data. Where do we fuck up? That's the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I said six teams in the thing. I it was eight. eight. I swear when I I swear when I looked at the show sheet today, not all of these teams were on here, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, they were. Okay. So yeah, I clearly was scrolling way too fast. So let's get through eight teams today. We are going to be covering the Carolina Panthers, Houston Texans, Arizona Cardinals, Indianapolis Colts, Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Rams, Las Vegas Raiders, and the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> what a way to end the show. Uh, but Josh, before we get started, some coaching news. Uh, those Atlanta Falcons have parted ways. The Wicked Witch is dead. I don't mean to dance on someone's proverbial grave. Arthur Smith, no longer Man, with He's the so Atlanta. well off. I don't even give a shit for rooting for the fact that he doesn't have a job anymore. That's true. This is, let's be clear. We should not be worried about celebrating someone losing a job with any of these NFL coaches because they're all doing a lot better than anybody who's watching this show. Um, a very well-liked guy, but a guy whose time was probably ready to come to an end. Ron Rivera also gone in Washington. Uh, interestingly enough, we did the mock draft show on Monday and Austin said that he thought Mike Vrabel might be leaving the Titans voluntarily. Turns out there was no voluntary about it. Uh, Titans gave him his walking papers and the Seahawks announced today that Pete Carroll is going to be moving into an advisory role with the team. No longer the head coach, Josh, there are seven head coach openings in the NFL right now. The Panthers, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Falcons, the Commanders, the Titans, and the Seahawks. If you, Josh Hudson, were the, the guy, you're, you're from the Sean McVay tree, everybody wants you. Which one of these jobs do you want? 
Oh man. Um, I think when you factor in uh, personnel, team, cap, all that good stuff, I'm honestly choosing the Falcons. It, it's I know Falcons that I gotta get. The, I know that I don't have a quarterback. I, I completely understand that. But they went out. They spent their free agent cap on fixing the defense, and the defense has played phenomenally this year. They have a good offensive line. They have two really good running backs. So even if I don't have a quarterback, I can win games with an effective running game and good defense. Okay. Seven of them for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm right. I'm in a position at eight overall where I can potentially make a move up the draft board to get a young quarterback that's available or hit the trade market because you got, here's the thing. If Chicago is hell bent on keeping Justin Fields, that leaves one of the three quarterbacks open for you to trade up for, right? Because you you have to think Chicago, Washington, New England. Those are the teams that are going to be right at the top that realistically are, are in a position to get a quarterback. If Chicago bypasses, now the number one pick is open, right? Maybe they only trade back a couple spots so that Washington, New England can get their pick of the litter or the number one overall pick comes up, right? Now I can make that jump to go get Caleb Williams because my defense is fixed and I have offensive pieces that I don't have to worry so much about plugging premium offensive talent holes in the first round over the next couple of years. And I can put my quarterback in a position where he has a number one wide receiver who he used to throw the football to, mind you. Or excuse me, did he ever throw to Drake, uh, Drake London? I don't know that he did. Now that I think about it, because Caleb Williams was an okay. Yeah, he did not. Scratch that. But anyway, he's got Kyle Pitts, has Drake London, has John Robinson, and another really good running back there in Tyler Algier. That would be the team that I would want if I am a, you know, the hottest commodity amongst coaching candidates. I, I actually completely agree with you. I would refuse to interview with the Raiders because that is Antonio Pierce's job for it the love of God. Yeah, it needs to be. <laughs> so 100%. I would also refuse to interview with the Panthers because no, thank That's you. A hot mess. <laughs> um, Seahawks are super interesting to me because this is a team that is a year removed from making the playoffs, obviously in a very tough division. So they weren't able to get in this season, but they have a lot of the similar building blocks that you're talking about, Josh. They have DK Metcalf. They now have Jackson Smith and Jigba. Tyler Lockett, obviously not quite there anymore. Kenneth Walker still there and Zach Charbonnet. So I like the, the bill they have there. Plus, you know, I get to work with, uh, I get to work with, um, Pete Carroll, who's still there, so I, I really enjoy the the uh, the the building. And he, know, and he knows, and he knows defense. And, and, and you know they they've had really good defenses over the God knows how long. And like like you said, if you don't have that quarterback in place, you can win games with a good running game and a solid yeah. defense. Don't so. say I said it; you said it. It's your it's your great take. Well. Um, and then the bear. Speaking of the Bears, they did fire Luke Getzey, which you've been calling for for ages. They also fired the rest of their mm-hmm. offensive coaching staff. So it appears Matt Eberflus is going to be maintaining that job. And the Giants parting ways with Wink Martindale, which is weird to me because the defense is the only thing that's worked there for the last couple seasons. So, uh, 100%. It, it is what it is. But now it is time, Josh, for the look back, which we are now, um, you know nicely referring to 
what went wrong. And we're going to start with those Carolina Panthers and what went wrong is the owner, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to look at the fantasy. Um, so if you guys don't ha- are new to the show, we have a lot of new subscribers when the off season, or I guess, yeah, the off season, cause this is still the postseason. officially begins. We do three to four teams a week where we give you guys, our guys, the guys we think are going to pop, usually someone that we think is going to outperform their ADP. Sometimes we'll get into who we think is going to bust. But for this show, we're going to take a look back at our guys and some of Joe's sleeper picks. So for the Panthers, Josh, you and I both had Miles Sanders. Uh, Our guest that week was Andrew Cooper. He was a big rookie wide receiver, Jonathan Mingo believer. Uh, Joe's sleeper pick was Adam Thielen, and Joe's IDP pick was Brian Burns. But Josh, let's start with the offense. Let's start with Miles Sanders, and let's start with you. What went wrong? Uh, Miles Sanders and the entire offense went wrong because Frank Reich, not not as good as we thought he would be, that's for sure. Um, They're literally, outside of Adam Thielen, nothing went right with this Carolina Panthers team. And even Thielen disappeared for stress for nine games. <laughs> but, but I mean, for a guy that is 33 years old, 137 targets, 103 catches, 1,014 yards. Like, I mean, seriously hats off because apparently wide receivers die at the age of 30. So yeah. to get 137 targets with that level of production and a wide receiver 17 finish. Yeah. I'll take that all day, every day. But when it comes to miles Sanders, I mean, the a lot of my love came from the fact that he was reuniting with a system that he knew. Frank Reich was in Philly a year before he got there. Deuce Staley was in Philly with Miles Sanders. They have a very close relationship. All it took was 11 games for David Tepper to say, Frank Reich, you ain't it. And then after that, Miles Sanders was nothing. Basically lost his job to Chuba Hubbard. I will say the one thing that really played a lot to my point was that they would use Miles Sanders in the passing game. And they did 41 targets, 27 catches, 154 yards. That was great, but they just could not get the running game going. This offensive line was so bad, so bad. Bryce Young and the other quarterbacks that were in for the Panthers this year, 65 times they were sacked. If you're, if, if teams are getting to the quarterback that much, there's no way in hell their running lanes being open for Sanders or Chuba Hubbard at that point. So, I mean, you really, you kind of got to chalk this one up to just being a waste of an offensive situation. But even when he had the football, Miles Sanders really did not play well. And that's what I was going to hit on is – I think we saw that great season in Philly. And at least for my own projections, I carried too much of that forward into this season with Carolina. And you hit on the very first point I wanted to hit Josh from the very first game, the Carolina Panthers played, which I think was the hall of fame game. Um, But regardless whether it was or wasn't all we heard about was Bryce Young getting hit Bryce Young, getting sacked Bryce Young, getting hurried. I am lucky enough to cover the Panthers for football guys. All I read about in practice was Bryce Young getting hit, Bryce Young getting hurried, and how well he was handling it. Well, it's a lot easier to handle it in practice when you get to take a break after every single play, and these players aren't really trying to kill you than it is in the actual game, and things just fell apart for this offense. 
Um, speaking specifically to Miles Sanders, where everything went wrong with my projections is I had him as a bell cow. Um, interestingly enough, I had him at 248 carries. Chuba Hubbard had 238 carries. So maybe I just had the wrong bell cow. But this is what I was talking about, Josh, with carrying too much forward. I also had him at 10 rushing touchdowns. And you kind of hit on the bad offensive line. There was never going to be rushing lanes. This team managed six rushing touchdowns from the RB position. So giving him 10 was just a fool's error on my part. Because again, I bought into what I saw in Philly. I bought into the coaching staff and it, it was a mistake. I didn't give any wide receiver over a hundred targets. So I definitely didn't see the Adam Thielen thing come, but you know me. And, and interestingly enough, this was the show we had a uh, coupon um, tight end is a position that I like to dig into. And I had my man Hayden Hurst leading this team in targets at 90 targets. He played nine games and had 32 targets. It looked really good for about two games. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I did have Thielen over 100 targets. I had Hayden Hurst at 94. So, I mean, I was right there with you giving a lot of targets to the tight end position. But um, yeah, I, I will say about the only thing that I got right on the Panthers was DJ Chark. Ooh. I had I had him projected at 69 targets, 39 catches, 541 yards, and three touchdowns. He ended with 66, 35, 525, and five. I mean, that's Good about as close you. as you can possibly get. Yeah, I want to so, see. I think I'll take I that. Would... But outside of that, like, I mean, I had Sanders at 219 rush attempts. I was 90 off on him. Uh, I, I did only have him at five rushing touchdowns. Like, I fully expected major regression there. And I had just the running backs with the Panthers only scoring nine, but I did have Bryce Young getting three. So I had the team at 12, but that's still double what they ultimately ended up with. So yeah. not great, Bob. Not great. No. <laughs> I want to give uh, Joe a little bit of shine here. Uh, so Joe, Adam Thielen as the, uh, the sleeper, and he just put very large hit. Uh, so he certainly got that one right. And he admits it was not so much of a great second half, but the start makes him worth it. And he threw a stat line in here, which you've already quoted on IDP. He had Brian Burns. Uh, interestingly enough, he didn't go with Jeremy Chin, but neither one of them had an actual pretty good season. Uh, he had Burns as meh, wasn't bad, wasn't great, viable, down, uh, viable, but down for the year, uh, 32 tackles, 15 for a loss, eight sacks. And that's just kind of where he stands right now. So I, I agree when you, when you look at Brian Burns from an IDP standpoint, you didn't get what you wanted out of him, but Joe, Joe with a big hit on uh, his sleeper, Adam Thielen to get us started. I mean, it was hard not to, he was wide receiver 60. So, I mean, even if he finishes his wide receiver 40, like it's a win really, but no, I mean, it, it was a smart play though. Like take the guy who they brought in to be the wide receiver one, even if he is 30 something years old, that's basically the ideology that we went with, with Miles Sanders because they paid him to be the guy. We just focused on the younger asset. That's all. Hundred uh, percent. Moving on to the Houston Texans. So from that episode, this was still Andrew Cooper. Uh, we typically cover three teams per episode. Our guys. Everybody was a little different this time. Josh, you had Damian Pierce. I had John Mechie. I was going for the feel good story. Coop had Devin Singletary. So at least one of us was right. Uh, Joe's sleeper, John Mechie. Joe got me into John Mechie, so that's not a surprise. And uh, Joe's IDP was Jalen Petrie. Josh, let's get back to the Houston Texans. You had Damian Pierce. Uh, our, our guest that week had Andrew Cooper. Josh, what went wrong with the Houston Texans? Um, where to fucking start? Um, <laughs> basically, this team did nothing that I thought they would actually do. Like coming from this San Francisco system, 
I thought there would be a lot more balance in the run game and the pass game. So that's why I was leaning very heavily into Damian Pierce. Uh, yes, he did miss some time in his rookie year, but things were looking up. They brought back the entire offensive line, and they the idea was, and they invested heavily, like every single one of those guys, the trades they made, et cetera, they all basically extended them, got them into large contracts. Like they were setting this up. This was going to be, you know, whether it was running, passing, whatever, they were going to fortify this offensive line. Pierce gets hurt, averaging like 2.5 yards a carry even before he got hurt. Devin Singletary comes in, runs, you know, rushes 200 some odd or uh, 216 times. So like the splits there were basically what I had. I just had them flipped. Yeah. So uh, they, they didn't really use Pierce the way that they needed to simply because he wasn't effective doing it. But I didn't think that CJ Stroud was going to come slinging the way that I that he came out slinging. I was only about nine pass attempts off. But I also had him playing a full 17 game. So he probably would have threw the ball a hundred more times had he played those, not missed those three games to concussion. Yeah. But I was off by 900 yards. Like oh DJ Stroud just completely flipped the script on what I thought he would do and what I thought he was even capable of doing, not just because he was a rookie, but because of how this team was set up. And truly, hats off to him, hats off to Nico Collins for breaking out, and hats off to Bobby Slowick. Because I wasn't really privy to this rise of a, an offensive mind. I was just like, all right, you know, he's from the San Francisco coaching tree. Well, we'll just play it by ear and see what happens. And, and ultimately, I made the same mistake with Mike McDaniel two years ago with Miami. But that's when they show you who they are, right? Now we've got data to work with. He's an offensive play caller. All right, cool. He knows what he's doing. Get him a really good running back. The world is your oyster, homie. Yeah. And that's going to be an interesting thing to see how they approach the offseason. Let's be clear. They're not mildly concerned about the offseason. Their eyes are on Cleveland coming to their home. And Caesar brings up a point. Pierce was a stud two years ago. So weird. Was he though? Go back and look at those numbers, Caesar. Thank you, Josh. He broke a lot of tackles. Yeah. And I feel like that's really what people were latching onto was that give this guy a good offensive line and he can get at it. Maybe his skill set just doesn't fit with the scheme that is what Bobby Slowick runs. And that's entirely possible because we've seen that happen with running backs, right? Especially guys that end up falling into the middle rounds. So much of their success ends up lying in the type of scheme that they end up falling into. And maybe Damian Pierce is just that kind of player. He's a jack. I want to look back at that the run that, that was Damian Pierce. So... He got hot. He definitely got hot. Um, it basically started in week four against the Chargers. He had a good game against the Bears the week before, but it was an average good game. Uh, 20 carries, 80 yards, scored a touchdown, four, point, four yards per carry. Chargers, 14 for 131. 26 for 99, so we're seeing that sub four yards. 20 for 92, terrible game against the Titans, 15 for 35. This is his rookie year. Smashes your Eagles, Josh, 27 for 139. Um, and then beats up on the Giants, 17 for 94, and then got hurt and did not play well. So he had a run, but it's one of those things where did the league figure him out? Was it just one of those things where it was the right schedule? Where it, I, there was somebody a few years ago, Josh, where they had the easiest end of year schedule ever, and we were so excited about it. And it's like, were they really that good? Um, was it just the schedule that was making them that good? 
Um, but Josh, I, this is going to be the most hilarious. What went wrong ever? What went wrong was CJ Stroud being so damn good because right. that was not the expectation for this offense. We thought they would be starting slow. We thought there could be some good games. Um, I like Damian Pierce. I'm not even going to address my um, John Mechie pick. I, I, it was a feel good story. The guy was coming back. I liked him from the draft because Joe told me to like him from the draft. He's clearly not ready to be back yet. I we galaxy him. brain that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, thoughts and prayers, T's and P's, everything for John Mechie to come back full strength next year. And I hope he does. Um, but that's just me. That that was a bad look. I, it's not like I was highly drafting the guy. He was my last pick in many drafts and he was my first cut in many drafts. Um, but I did not expect CJ Stroud to be this good. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I did not buy the tank Dell hype. Um, I was actually pretty close on Nico Collins. Didn't have his touchdowns up there again. Didn't know CJ Stroud was going to be this good, but tank Dell blew my projections out of the water. Um, I'm trying to get these up real quick. I had tank Dell Josh at 40 targets, 40 for the season. <laughs> pretty sure he had that in a three game stretch. He had 75 in 11 games. <laughs> yeah, I had him at 51, and I made a note of this. I'm like, if I'd bought more into Tank Dell as the wide receiver two versus Mechie, because where I projected Mechie, I would have yeah. been pretty damn spot on on Tank Dell. But I, like I said, I was off by like 80 some odd uh, uh, pass attempts. So yeah. like, if I'd even that out a little bit, maybe I'm a little higher on Nico. But I, I didn't really have any one wide receiver there that I was like, you know what? They're the number one guy. So I, I tried finally, to like kind of even everything out a little bit to kind of like you have not, not so much like hedge, but what's up? What did you have Nico at? Uh, 88 targets, 51 catches, okay. 674 and four. But again, oh. that was the most targets that I gave to anybody. And then yeah. the next was Mechie at 79 and Dalton Schultz at 74. Yeah, I, I kept hearing great, 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 great things about Nico as the season was progressing. So I got Nico up to a hundred targets and thank goodness I did. He should have blew that number away. I think he finished at 109, but he also missed those two games with injury. So I caught on to Nico Collins, just didn't caught on catch on to the touchdown. So yeah, what went wrong for the Texans is they were too fucking good. We, we weren't expecting, <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we weren't expecting good Texans. A uh, shout out to Coop on the Devin Singletary pick. Uh, Devin Singletary is a guy that, uh, the fantasy community likes to kick dirt on every year, but uh, for at least the last three years, he's he's really made all of us look foolish and uh, came alive enough this year. Uh, Joe calls John Mechie a miss, as he was, though I don't really call him a miss. He came back from cancer. Um, but he did say he was definitely a long shot in the emergence of Tank Dell and health were the issues there. Calls Jalen Petrie a miss from IDP. It was a down year from what he did in 2022. Only had 60% of the tackles in this new season that he had the previous year. So... Definitely a couple of misses for Joe and a couple of misses for us when it comes to the Houston Texans. They were just too good. I think Josh, the team that we all struggled with was the Arizona Cardinals because coming into this season, we had no idea how much time Kyler Murray was going to miss. And I think that influenced a lot of our projections. So your guy, congratulations, James Connor. My guy didn't make it to the damn season because we did this show too early. DeAndre Hopkins. Um, <laughs> Coop picked Hollywood Brown, Joe Sleeper, Keontae Ingram. More on that later. Joe's IDP, Isaiah Simmons. Uh, neither of those guys finished the season a Cardinal, so uh, not so much analysis we're going to need there. Josh, what went wrong with the Arizona Cardinals, and what went right with your pick with uh, James Conner there, buddy? You know, this is really weird. I don't know that anything truly went wrong with the Cardinals because 
we all knew this team was going to be a dumpster fire in the sense that we had no idea how to project this team. Because when we did this show, DeAndre Hopkins was still a Cardinal. Kyler Murray, we, we was still getting back from the knee injury. We were, we were projecting blind straight up. And not only that, they brought in a new coaching staff, offense, defense, whole nine yards. Like everything was just flip a coin and see what the hell happens. Like, I wasn't even like spot on with James Conner in the sense that like my projections were there. I just felt that he was the best value amongst like the, the players. And that's why I ultimately ended up going with him. But I think his ADP was roughly right around where he finished. So I don't even know that he was truly like a value, but based on like points per game. Yeah. He definitely exceeded expectations, but like, I mean, Hollywood Brown's still getting a hundred targets and only catching 50% of them. Like, th- this team in general was just bad this year, and we all knew they would be bad this year. So, like, I don't really know how much more time to, to spend on this because the whole damn team sucked. I was going to say, I don't think we need to talk much about the Cardinals. One, we don't know any Cardinals fans. Kelly's not watching this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did just notice, Josh, I was only three fantasy points on James Conner's entire stat line. I had, him at, I had him at what he finished with. He finished at 201. I had him at 198. So I had him at 200.87. So I was even closer than that. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. You had the right points, bro. Um, I, I definitely, was way off on points per game, but there you yeah. go. I'll take that. <laughs> I uh, I definitely bought into Hollywood Brown. I wasn't sure what they were, how they were, they were going to handle tight end. But Josh, you, you put it best. The team was a dumpster fire. And they played like a dumpster fire. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle their pick. They don't have one of the super early picks with a chance to get one of these quarterbacks unless they're going to make a crazy No, trade. the Cardinals so have the third overall pick. Or oh, did they get the third? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I got the fourth. Yeah, so, 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 I mean, like, that, that's the thing. They're invested in Kyler, right? They've paid him all that money. So, exactly. the idea is, is, all right, surround him with talent. Either get another offensive lineman in there. Paris Johnson came on strong towards the end of the year, started to actually look like, a franchise tackle there. They do still need another one. DJ Humphreys is meh at best, and he's getting older. So maybe they ultimately get another tackle in there. But you also have the opportunity to potentially get a legit number one wide receiver in Marvin Harrison Jr., just depending on what Chicago ultimately ends up doing. So, you know, that's going to be the interesting struggle there, right? Because we know Chicago needs offensive linemen. Do they get one of these guys or do they get the generational wide receiver if they ultimately move off the first pick? Because if you do that, you have to stay in front of Arizona, plain and simple. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah, you can't unless Washington's trading up because Arizona needs to take Harrison. I think you have the offensive coordinator in Arizona whose name leaves me right now, but he came over from Cleveland. Um, You have that Stefanski system. I think they see the value in – I think they see the value of going and getting an Amari Cooper, going and getting that legit number one wide receiver. Yep. And I think that's what Marvin Harrison's going to bring. You pair him, even if you pair him with uh, Marvin or uh, Marquise Brown for a year, it's going to be a really interesting thing that could turn around their entire offense. We've seen young wide receivers turn around entire offenses very quickly. So what they do in the draft is going to be the most important thing. And another team, Josh, where they were a victim of circumstance, the quarterback that we did all of our projections on were hurt immediately in the season is the Indianapolis Colts. When we look back at that team with the, my guys, you pick Michael Pittman. I picked Jonathan Taylor. 
your guy didn't have his correct quarterback for half the year. My guy didn't play half the year. Linda was our guest, and she uh, she picked Jelani Woods. However, she also threw Michael Pittman in there. Uh, Joe had no sleeper. He did kind of throw Alec Pierce out there just because of how low the ADP was. It, it, it wasn't it. He did say Zach Moss would have been the right pick. Zaire Franklin was his IDP. Dog, career high in tackles. So, Josh... Again, another team we probably don't need to spend a ton of time on, but what do we think went wrong other than, you know, losing Anthony Richardson after? Two yeah, games? I mean, and that's it, right? When you lose your stud rookie quarterback who you've built your entire offense around with a lot of RPOs and utilizing his rushing ability to build the offense around, that's essentially what went wrong. But when you're able to bring in an established veteran like Gardner Minshew, who has won in this league and also lost a lot in this league, yes, but he he's... He's a quality backup and arguably probably the best backup quarterback in the NFL. And for them to be on the verge of making the playoffs, literally going down to the final game. Yeah. There's something to be said for that when it comes to building the morale of this team going into 2024, when you're able to get um, Anthony Richardson back, when you get Jonathan Taylor back for presumably 17 games or at least 15 games. Like there's a lot of things to that can, there's a lot of promise there, right? But now you need to focus on getting those guys healthy, but also you got to re-sign Michael Pittman because he proved this year, he's a number one wide receiver. 100%. You know, you get Anthony Richardson there, maybe Pittman scores more than four touchdowns, but he has the ability to haul in a hundred receptions every single year and the ability to top 1,100 yards every year. Every young quarterback needs a reliable target like that. Yeah. I I mean, you kind of said it. We know what went wrong here. Pittman, I had him as a high target guy. Josh Downs, I still had behind Alec Pierce. I didn't see his emergence. Obviously, I wasn't expecting Jonathan Taylor to get hurt. I actually had Zach Moss with fewer carries than Deion Jackson, who I don't even think made the team by the end of the year, as I'm looking at my projections here. I think he got cut after like week two or three, honestly. Yeah, and so and then I had Evan Hull because I'm just a sucker for these late-round rookies. I thought he might see something. Um the tight ends were a mess. But again, I had Anthony Richardson starting 16 games, Gardner Minshew starting one. That's clearly not what happened. And that just changes the entire the entire spectrum of what we expected from the Indianapolis Colts. Josh, before we move on, I want to backtrack to the Texans a little bit. And I want to bring a Caesars question up here. He is Stroud in Dynasty. For a stack, which receiver are you targeting right now? Nico Collins or Tank Dell? I'm actually going to answer this first just because my answer is very simple. Whichever one I can get cheapest. I don't think there is a wrong answer here. If I I think Nico Collins is likely to be the cheaper option, but the thing is even three years in, I think he is super young. I think he's 25 years old at three years in. Whereas you sometimes see these older rookies. There are rookies that are roughly the same age as Nico Collins. So I would go after whoever is cheaper. And I'm thinking that's going to be Nico Collins, Josh. I actually think that Tank Dell is going to be cheaper simply because he's coming off an injury. Um, that being said, there you see a lot of the shift in the NFL that's really gearing towards these quick twitch kind of smaller wide receivers, right? Your your Tank Dells, your Wandell Robinsons, even Tutu Atwell got some run this year. My issue with that, it's not so much that these guys can't be effective. It's that I don't think they can be effective for long periods of time. 
So when I'm looking at dynasty, obviously you're thinking long-term, right? Yeah. Tank Dell is still on that rookie contract, which is valuable. Absolutely. Nico is up for an extension after this year. Correct. This was the career season that he needed. Yeah. So they have to pay him this offseason. And, and they, well, they don't necessarily have to pay him this offseason. But, but this is the first year they're eligible to extend him. But because he wasn't a first round pick, he doesn't get the luxury of that fifth year option. So next year is the contract year. So now the team has to decide is he worth the 25 plus million that wide receiver ones get? Or do we let him hit free agency, maybe franchise him for year five, so you still have two years of Nico Collins? For me, I'm going to invest in Nico because, to me, he's more of a prototypical wide receiver. And I think, to me, there's more value in that versus how they utilize Tank Dell and how they can utilize Tank Dell over the long term. Man, we do way too many shows together because that is precisely the point I was going to hit is Nico Collins, what he did this year, that's his game. That's what he's going to do. We love what Tank Dell did this year. But man, were we sitting back and saying, they're not using him right. It's working, but they're not using him right. Well, and I mean, look at it this way. And we talked about this a little bit earlier with the Texans and, and how I went through and projected this team thinking it would be very similar to the San Francisco offense. Yeah. When you stop and look at it in the passing game, it was pretty similar, right? Yeah. Brendan Ayuk is having a career season 100%. and stupid high efficiency where he's averaging like 16, 17 yards per reception. What's Nico Collins at? Uh, that would be basically the same fucking thing. yards per reception. <laughs> basically the same thing. He just saw more targets. So if you, if you're a fan of Brandon Ayuk in San Francisco, you need to be a fan of Nico Collins in Houston. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair comparison. They're not necessarily the same guy, but they're utilized the exact same way. Um, yeah, I think Collins is the cheaper option, and that's who I would be going after. I just looked. Nico Collins is only six months older than Tank Dell. <laughs> so it's not like it's an age game here. You are 100% getting the same age of player. But yeah. like Josh said, you're going to have Nico here for at least the next two seasons with CJ Stroud and what comes of that comes of that. And personally, while Josh thinks Dell is going to be cheaper, I think you're probably going to be able to get Nico Collins cheaper. So that's just my take on that. And uh, thanks for the question. Great question. Um, first of all, hello, Craig. And Josh Craig says uh, he thinks building a building a bench, maybe not necessarily. He didn't say this, but I think this is kind of what he's going for here is maybe not necessarily trading players away all the time and maybe having a stacked bench is not pretty much a good thing because when he had injuries, when Nico and them got hurt, he had Michael Pittman to come in and he had those different players on the bench. So maybe something, there's something to redraft about not trading away all of your good players, right? Oh, it's true. A hundred percent, especially like in, in this, I mean, shit, we had 60 starting quarterbacks this year, 64 last year, like the days of not rostering a backup quarterback in like shallow diner and shallow redraft leagues probably over yeah that that so, sage fantasy advice uh uh experts love to give is quickly turning on its head and and you're gonna start looking like an ass if yep. you're telling all your 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 readers to not bench start a backup quarterback it's about time in these bigger drafts even in these regular size drafts get a backup quarterback because they're not able to stay healthy worst case scenario you have trade bait which is is something we could do or not do if you want to have that guy on your bench. Josh, we're going to keep the show sheet moving along. Denver Broncos. 
Uh, we of course had Linda on this episode and Josh, as I, as I looked over our show sheet, I couldn't help but notice that not one offensive player went right. Um, you had Samaj P. Ryan. I had Jerry Judy because I just don't know when to quit. Linda had Marvin Mims who showed flashes, but certainly didn't do anything. And Joe's sleeper was Tim Patrick. His IDP was Alex Singleton. Joe Joe's knows what he's doing with IDPs. Joe is a big fan of Alex Singleton. But man, Josh, when I look at those offensive players, Samaji P. Ryan, Jerry Judy, Marvin Mims, Tim Patrick, we seem to have just all danced around Cortland Sutton. So I think what went wrong was we didn't know the right player to pick, even though we all loved him. But I know sometimes our guys, we, we try to go for the, the unnamed guys. But Josh, when you look at your projections and the Denver Broncos, what went wrong in 2020? Uh, everything. Um, I had Jerry Judy with 123 targets. He had 87. Um, so that was a huge miss, but like, I mean, I had Cortland Sutton as the number one wide receiver on this team. I did as well. Yeah. So I, that could have very easily been my guy. Um, but I went with the value that was Samaji P Ryan because none of us had any idea what Javon, version of Javante Williams we were getting. Yeah, and we knew that P Ryan was going to have that you know um that target volume and that's exactly what he had 56 targets 50 catches i had him projected at 53 and 41 respectively so i was pretty spot on with the receiving work but i had him at 137 carries that is not what he had anything close to it he only had 53 (laughs) carries so again that was me kind of downplaying how much work Javante was ultimately going to get and how much in love with Jaleel McLaughlin Sean Payton would be so there there were a lot of unknowns that really went into this I mean the, the tight end position was basically a dumpster fire Greg Dulcich was on IR for much of the season they didn't yeah. really use uh, a tight end there much at all and the receiving work I mean Brandon Johnson coming out of nowhere to have targets I mean, this whole offense was, I mean, they benched Russell Wilson with two games left. That's really all you need to know that went wrong with the Denver Broncos this year. Yeah. Uh, We saw a lot of touchdowns out of Cortland Sutton, which I think kind of threw us all off. We didn't know which Russell we were going to get, especially after a bad season. And and Craig kind of asks, can we move forward with Sutton? I think his question is, is Sutton going to be able to be successful in Denver? And I think that's a really good question because Josh, we have to expect Jerry Judy is probably on his last legs in Denver. We don't know if we're going to get Tim Patrick back, but they seem to really enjoy Marvin Mims there. And Marvin Mims was drafted by Sean Payton, which is a big thing when it comes to Sean Payton and his offense. There's a reason why the last two games, little Jordan Humphrey was out here leading the team in targets because he comes from that Sean Payton system. So Josh, do we think there's a future for Cortland Sutton in Denver when we don't know who the quarterback is and we don't know how they're going to approach the rest of the offense? Uh, I definitely think so. And the biggest reason is because Cortland Sutton is a big leader in that locker room. And I mean, you saw how much Sean Payton valued someone like Michael Thomas, right? Who was a leader in that locker room until he became all about me, 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 and then getting hurt all the time. Yeah. Um, But Cortland Sutton, he's a guy that when you're bringing in young wide receivers, a la a Marvin Mims, that is who they are going to gravitate to. He's still very productive. He just like two years ago, right before the ACL signed in a contract extension. So they, I don't believe they have like a big out for him heading into 2024. So I would fully expect him to be that guy. Jerry Judy is on his way out. I'm sorry. 
I mean, he he basically regressed after last year, which was a career year, and everybody thought he was going to like pop off the scale and be this legitimate wide receiver one. And I hate that I actually had him kind of being that in my projections because I've never been a Jerry Judy believer. I was ever. Like, how I never believe that because again, when you bring in, it, you're you're looking at systems, right? Joe Lombardi coming in. Maybe he's learned a little bit about how to feature two wide receivers in his offense. Whereas Sean Payton's always like, for the most part, yes, he spread the football around a lot, but most recently he was hyper-targeting Michael Thomas. So I was kind of sort of trying to blend the two. And I said, you know what? Jerry Judy's still going to get quite a bit of work. Yeah. Well, shame on me for believing in a shitty ass player. So what's more interesting to me, Josh, is Jerry Judy still finished with 87 targets, only three behind Cortland Sutton. So it's not like you were wrong. It's just the two touchdowns versus the 10 touchdowns changes things quite a bit. Well, yeah, but I had 54 receptions. That's not a great catch percentage. Yeah, 62% is really low for him. I had him projected at catching 66% of his balls. I also had him catching 13 yards per carry. Oh, he was at 14. I, I saw this. It was yards per target. That was super low. I was like, okay, because I was way off on that. Yeah, Um, I don't know what went wrong here, but I want to talk about something that, Josh, I, I addressed when it happened. This team giving up while still in a playoff race is just the craziest shit to me. And obviously they, they didn't make the playoffs. They weren't really as close as it appeared to make the playoffs. So maybe Sean Payton is just a, a more realistic person than I am, but man, I understand injury outs and protecting the finances, but it just seems like such a bad move for the rest of the organization. And I just really hate that for a lot of those players. But yeah, I agree with you. Judy, Judy needs to go. If I'm Tim Patrick, I'm signing somewhere else just to protect my knees. Well, he's <laughs> another one that is that well, they got signed a, a contract extension. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got some wiggle room with finances that they need to figure out because, you know, you have they basically before Sean Payton came in, they extended Cortland Sutton, they extended Tim Patrick, they Tim signed, Patrick. you know, they traded for Russell Wilson and signed him to that massive extension, which obviously the benching kind of signals the end for Russ there in Denver. But now that's another team that has a quarterback problem because you can't convince me they're going to go into the season in 2024 starting Jared Stidham. That just ain't happening. Now, do you make another trade for a quarterback and go through the same process that you did to go get Russell Wilson? You're setting yourself up again for disaster. They better go sign Joe Flacco. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um. But yeah, what what an interesting team and not one I think we need to spend a whole lot of time on. Um, so we're going to move on and, and that's going to bring us to the Los Angeles Rams. Kind of hard to say what went wrong because we're talking about them this early because of how bad they were the year before. And now all of a sudden they're a playoff team again, just like the Houston Texans. When we take a look at our guys, Josh, you had Cooper Cup. Obviously, great pick there. I agreed with you, Cooper Cup, but I'm going to come back to my parentheses here in just a second. Linda, guess what? She had Cooper Cup. So we all liked Cooper going into the season. Joe Sleeper, Van Jefferson, the definition of a miss, doesn't even play for the team anymore. And then his IDP is Aaron Donald. I don't care if Aaron Donald only played one down this season. That's always the right call when you talk about the Los Angeles Rams. And Josh, we're going to talk about this team and say what went wrong. I I don't think anything really went wrong. We could take a look at our projections. I think we could probably focus on the running back position because not a lot of us talked about running back at all. But I want to 
get back to my parentheses, Josh, because I'm guessing this came right from the show sheet and I appreciate you remembering to include oh, it. I, I literally, I go back and I look at all this and I'm like, all right, I'm going to put, that's why I put Linda's honorable mention of Pittman. Like I'll, I'll give props where props are due and they're due. <laughs> so after I mentioned Cooper cup, I said, Puka Nakua could be fun this season. And man, oh man, Josh was Puka Nakua fun this season. And I remember saying on that show, I'm not saying draft him as your wide receiver too. I'm just saying maybe your last pick, it's worth a flyer of Puka Nakua. And I love to tell you guys, you want to talk about what went wrong, Josh. Let me tell you guys a Puka Nakua story. So in my home league, a, uh, a, a league and a draft strategy I always give you guys is don't draft a kicker. Don't draft a defense. Draft extra players for trade bait until you have to make a decision. And Puka Nakua was one of those extra players, one of my very last picks in this draft. And I shopped him, and nobody believed in me. And I had this gut feeling, Josh, and I said I should hang on to Puka Nakua. I should hang on to Puka Nakua. And I fucking cut Puka Nakua and then spent the entire season crying about wide receiver problems when I cut the wide receiver five at the beginning of the season. So what went wrong is me not trusting my extremely large gut. It's there for a reason. It's there to tell me when to be right. Uh, so pour one out for my season in Puka Nakua and even worse, my division rival got him. So that just makes things so much worse. But uh, Josh, I want you like, we know what we got right, but let's take a look at these running backs because I know at the start of the season, you weren't a Kyron Williams guy. And obviously when we did our projections, Zach, uh, excuse me, Cam Akers was still there. I also was not a Kyron Williams guy at the beginning of the season, except I did have him lead the team in targets, which is not nothing. Um, but I thought they were going to feed Cam Akers just as much as the next guy. So we just we 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 bought way too much into the reconciliation between Cam Akers and the Los Angeles Rams, Josh. Yeah, I definitely did. Uh, I had him at 229 rush attempts, 1,008 yards, nine rushing touchdowns, 33 targets, 26 catches, and et cetera, et cetera. I had uh, Kyron Williams at 76 rush attempts. So uh, what went wrong? I'm a dumbass. That's what went wrong because. Cam Akers sucks, and I should have just remembered that. It's just the same issue that I have with Jerry Judy. When I don't think players are good, stop projecting them high just because they're at the top of the depth chart in the beginning of the season. I am the premier Cam Akers <laughs> hater. I developed, I don't mess with people who tear their Achilles tendon. Yep as a a life rule to live by and i also gave him 227 carries josh that achilles can't carry the ball 227 times what were we thinking and this is ultimately what happens he he goes on a late season run gets us all kind of buying back in after you know getting benched requesting a trade kind of you know mending fences a little bit and then you know finishing the season strong you come into this season I mean, Kyron Williams was a fifth round pick. There yeah. was literally no, no emphasis that needed to be put on him. He's a depth piece. He's not somebody that is realistically going to be a feature in this offense. And egg on our face because a <laughs> arguably the best running back performance in the NFL this year. Yeah. I mean, he averaged more rushing yards per game than. Christian McCaffrey. I said anyone. <laughs> like, I mean, shit. Missed five games, I think, and finished as, as uh, uh, RB5. Like, yeah, duh. And, and I've mentioned this on several occasions. 
you can it, it is very hard for me right now when you look at the running back landscape and you're trying to project out for 2024. I'm having a hard time trying to move off of Kyron Williams as the RB2 off the board yep. after Christian McCaffrey. And that's me factoring in what Brees Hall did to end the season. Like Kyron Williams has been that good. This system is perfect for him. And we talked and we brought this up earlier on the show. Systems sometimes matter for running backs. You can have all the talent in the world, but if that system is perfect, that's what this system is for Kyron Williams. So yeah, sign me up for all the Kyron Williams in 2024. And then we'll come back to this show in 2025. And I'll probably have egg on my face again because he we... shit the bed. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you right now, my over projection of Kyron Williams in 2024 is going to be epic. Epic over projection. Him and Puka. Uh, give them all the fantasy points. Um, Caesar brings up a good point going back to some Chicago takes, but just went, went wrong with this season. Uh, Justin Fields not running wild. And Josh, I think this is such an interesting point because you have been the one that said at the very least, Getsy needs to go because it was very clear early on, Getsy was not using Justin Fields properly. I think for the first four weeks of Monday's anxiety, you had to start the show talking about why aren't they letting Justin Fields run the football? Yeah. Why? Now they figured <laughs> that out. It's the OC problem. It's not exactly. the quarterback. So, yeah. but I, real I quick, I want to bring this up about Puka yeah. Nikoa before we move on. So when I statted out the Rams, the wide receiver one on the Rams, here's was the stat projections. Obviously we know we're talking about Cooper Cup here. Yeah. The stats were 164 targets, 118 yards, 1,488 receiving yards, 10 rushing or 10 receiving touchdowns, 64 rushing yards and a touchdown. Here was Puka Nakua's final stat line. 160 targets, 105 catches, 1,486 yards, six touchdowns, 89 rushing yards. All I had to do was switch the damn names. <laughs> Flip those names. Puka Nakua finished with 298 PPR fantasy points. Josh, I had Cooper Cup at 315. What did you have him at? I had him at three. I had Cup at 339 because oh. I did have. I had a lot of receptions, but um, no. And if you really want to like drag me a little bit, I had Puka Nakua projected for 25 targets. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. I'm so happy you said that because I at least. <laughs> Had him at 57 targets. <laughs> at least I doubled you up and had my money where my mouth oh, yeah. was just a little bit because uh, it's hard to be the big believer in a guy. And then I still only had him with a hundred fantasy points. Yeah. yeah and again, that. it just goes back to, we've been saying this for a while. Van Jefferson, not good at football. Why am I giving this guy 89 fucking targets? Yeah. I think is that what I gave him too. Josh, our projection, I had him at 91. Our projections are so damn close. We do too many shows together. Let's move on to the Las Vegas Raiders. And I don't know what went wrong, but I certainly know what went right. I don't know when I became the president of the Antonio Pierce fan club, but that is where we stand. Uh, looking at our guys, Josh, you went with your namesake, Josh Jacobs. Nothing wrong with that. Certainly not the season he had the year before. I went with Devontae Adams, but I mentioned uh, Zamir White could be interesting. This was when Josh Jacobs was still in his contract dispute. Bob Harris was the guest that week, and he said, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, Joe Sleeper, Jacoby Myers, who was being drafted as the wide receiver 54. 
going to be a big, big hit for Joe and his IDP, Max Crosby, uh, or Divine Diablo. But he said, don't worry about Divine Diablo. Max Crosby is the best defensive edge player in the NFL. He thinks better than Miles Garrett, JJ Watt, or TJ Watt, rather. Um, he thinks he's the best that there is. Josh, this offense wasn't what we wanted it to be. The quarterback never quite showed up. I think that's probably where what went wrong. Our players, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, they didn't play poorly. They just certainly didn't play good for fantasy management. So I would argue Devontae Adams did play well. What Early. killed him this year and then again late. <laughs> was the consistency, right? But that was exactly. the same issue in 2022. Played really well, but he had a lot of ebbs and flows in his performance. And the big pop to me, obviously, was Jacoby Myers. Like, yeah, they brought him in. They gave him all that money but he's never been a big touchdown guy. Jacoby Myers accounted for, uh, I, I did the math here, 11 touchdowns, eight receiving, yeah. two rushing, and one passing. <laughs> Pass like, one. <laughs> that is unfathomable when you look at the, cur- the career trajectory of Jacoby Myers. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, you kind of figured he was going to be rusty, right? He logged a ton of touches in 2022. We knew that that was ultimately going to take its toll. Efficiency was going to come down. I mean, you still wanted to project him high because of what he was capable of doing. Yeah. But everything with this team was just dysfunctional from the offensive play calling in the first half of the year, which ultimately led to Josh McDaniels getting fired to the inconsistencies of the offensive line to the even worse quarterback play. Nothing was going right. So, in reality, Josh Jacobs never stood a chance. And, like, I knew better. I knew better. I don't like putting all of my eggs into the baskets of the guys that touched the football 400 times. But, again, when you look at this Raiders team, it was literally Jacobs or Adams. That's who you want. Yep. I went with the running back. Stupid me. Um. So, Jacobs played on the franchise tag this year, right? So three and a half yards per carry. I think it's safe to say the Raiders aren't going to be beating down his door to get him back. We saw Zamir White efficiency wise play better than Josh Jacobs. But Josh, you know, the motto of a show that you and I are on. It's called backup running backs are supposed to be more efficient. 4.3 yards per carry. My biggest worry is that Josh Jacobs leaves and everyone jumps on this Zamir White train and we end up with a Tony Pollard-esque situation, but you won't have yeah, to pay I the think draft two capital. Different. I think they're I two completely different scenarios because when Josh Jacobs is in the game, he is the bell cow. It's not like somebody else is coming in for five to seven carries and taking loads off of him. He okay. is the guy that's getting 95% plus of the, of the, the touches, right? Zamir White, all of that work, was in injury replacement of Josh Jacobs. Where he was, again, the belt. Where he was the guy. So I don't think that this is going to be an issue of, you know, expect a huge dip in yards per carry if they don't bring back Josh Jacobs, which, depending on who that head coach is, whether they bring back uh, Antonio Pierce or they bring in someone else. If they bring in someone else, I think that Josh Jacobs is gone. If they bring, if they re-sign Antonio Pierce to be the head coach, I think Josh Jacobs comes back because okay. I think that Pierce values these veteran voices in the locker room. He values the Devonte Adams. He values the Josh Jacobs. These are the leaders 
of that offensive uh, uh, sideline, right? They're the leaders on that side of the football. The same thing with Max Crosby on the defensive side. These are the leaders. These are the guys that Antonio Pierce is going to rely on. This is what makes the, or what made the Eagles so great because they have such strong veteran voices and Nick Sirianni leans on them and it worked for them last year. Antonio Pierce kind of has that similar mentality, or at least that's what I, uh, the, where I see from, you know, the, the sneak peeks in the locker room and how he talks to the media. So I think that if Pierce is there, they bring back Josh Jacobs, even if it's only on like a two year deal with like a high AAV, like, and I feel like that's truly what these running back contracts kind of need to be in all honesty, yeah. because that's how they're going to get their money. They're not going to be getting these four five, six year contracts the way that some of these quarterbacks and wide receivers do. And then we can uh, just pour one out for um, Hunter Renfro's career at this point, right? I, I had the man with with 80 targets. <laughs> like he yeah, couldn't even he, get on the field. Yeah, I had him at 72, which was a huge, huge whiff on my part. Big, big, uh, big, big whiff. Just to quickly get through Craig's question here, he just wants to know if we can trust the Raiders. I'm going to say you're, it's a whole lot of hurry up and wait. Uh, Josh, Josh became famous on the Monday show when I would ask him hypothetical questions. Who's the head coach? Who's the quarterback? And that's what we're waiting to see with the Las Vegas Raiders as we head in the next season. And Josh, it is time to finish the show with the Atlanta Falcons. And I think what went wrong is now unemployed. (laughs) But when we look at our guys, we have Kyle Pitts for you, Drake London for me, Bob Harris and and the perfect... (laughs) summary of the Atlanta Falcons season went off on a massive amount of tangents and never actually picked a player, which is perfect because guess what? Arthur Smith couldn't pick a player to be his guy on that team. Kind of poetic, right? Yeah. (laughs) Guess what? Bob Harris was the only one of us that was right by not picking. (laughs) (laughs) Joe sleeper, Matt Collins. Yeah. Uh, Joe's IDP, Troy Anderson only played in two games. So didn't Sounds work out right. real, real well for all of us. Um, I do want to point out that I don't know if you wrote this or Joe wrote this. Joe picked the Falcons to win that division. And no, that- I, I put that in parentheses because I, I had to go back and okay. rewatch a little bit of that episode because when I looked at the show sheets, uh, Bob didn't fill in any players. That's right. So I was I like, all right, that. let me go back and watch and see if maybe he just like picked somebody on air. And that's that's where the, the parentheses came from. But when we did that show, like you see where mine says projections are hard. Yeah. yeah. Joe put Atlanta Falcons division winners. So I made it a point to say that in the show sheet. <laughs> and those those um, tabs underneath, that's Joe justifying that pick. So let, let's talk about this real quick because we know what went wrong here. We've been beating this horse for, for months now. And we'll talk a little bit about the Falcons. But Joe said, if Arthur Smith didn't have the brain cells of a thousand-year-old piece of fruit, this would have been an easy 10-win team. He also said the defense would play better on the back of Jesse Bates, which is actually quite right. Um, And Bates back to the Pro Bowl because he's a dog. However, uh, Falcons to win the division, while it sounds hilarious, they actually weren't that far off um, because what just a dog shit of a division. So Josh, I mean, what went wrong with the Atlanta Falcons is Arthur Smith and Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke wasn't who we thought he was going to be. No, he but, wasn't what you and Joe thought he would be. Very clear. Yes. He's not <laughs> who me and Joe thought he was. So 
looking at this team, it's easy to start from the top down, but it's also pretty interesting that Kyle Pitts, seemingly Josh, your guy couldn't really outplay Janu Smith as a tight end. And I'm starting to wonder, is there something more to where Kyle Pitts was a wide receiver playing tight end? Is there one of these things where like, he's not good enough to be a wide receiver or a tight end. He's kind of stuck in the middle for the NFL. It's just weird to me. So this just came out today. Kyle Pitts posted on his Instagram that when, when he had the MCL issue in the off season, he also had surgery to repair his PCL in his knee. Interesting. So I don't think Kyle Pitts was ever a hundred percent healthy this year. And I think that led to a lot of some of the issues where because he's lining up out wide and he's seeing a corner that he's not able to separate the way that a guy his size should be able to on corners that are just smaller than him, right? And be able to make those types of 50-50 ball catches. But the biggest issue really with Kyle Pitts, it was always usage, right? Like you want mismatches. Mismatches come from the slot. Yeah. That's where Travis Kelsey has dominated because he's five inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than slot corners and linebackers. Look at Isaiah likely in Baltimore in limited time. Yes, exactly. So that's how Kyle Pitts needs to be used to stretch the middle of the field, not go up for jump balls on the outside. <laughs> that's why you have Drake London. Okay. Stop galaxy branding your way out of a fucking job. Oh wait, you already did that. So be gone. Exactly. Like, Jonu Smith was being used the way they needed to use Kyle Pitts, plain and simple. 100%. And the problem with Arthur Smith is that he already knew how to use Jonu Smith and hadn't quite figured out yet how to use Kyle Pitts. So that, to me, was a lot of the issues. But it all just boils down to bad coaching, bad quarterback play. That's what went wrong with the 2023 Atlanta Falcons. Yep. And, and Craig agrees with you. He said, well said, Josh. And, and I couldn't agree more. Bad coaching, bad quarterback play. I saw a stat today right before we came on the show that I felt was the perfect way to end our discussion with the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm going to throw Craig's comment up on the screen. But John Robinson drafted first. He was scared at first and you had every right to be scared. And I don't even know that you're necessarily happy about what happened. But as a rookie, Bajan Robinson rushed for 978 yards. One year ago, as a rookie, Tyler Algier rushed for 1,035 yards, 50 more rushing yards than Bijan Robinson as a rookie. Tyler Algier was a relatively unknown running back. Correct me if I'm wrong. Josh drafted in the fifth round. Fifth round out of BYU. Bijan Robinson was a top 10 pick and viewed as a generational talent. Arthur Smith, plain and simple, is a fucking moron. You have this guy, you have this offense that is built to run the football. You have this brain, I assume, up there that was built to design a rushing offense. You just made a fifth round pick, a thousand yard rookie, and you can't figure out how to use Bajan Robinson properly. You then start playing games with the injury report and getting your team fined because of migraine, supposedly, which all felt like a BS thing. Arthur Smith was the problem with the Atlanta Falcons. And what went wrong was we thought we looked at this team as this 
rushing juggernaut the year before. And we thought they were going to run Bajan Robinson 400 times. He was going to be the next DeMarco Murray and everything was just going to go really, really well. And that is not at all what happened. And like I said, Josh, you, you put it best. He he's a, he's a Nepo baby is as the, the, the tabloids like to refer to these people these days. He's filthy, stanky rich. So fuck you, Arthur Smith. And I'm glad you don't have a job plain and simple. Fantasy managers everywhere rejoice. Josh, I, I I mentioned this in our group chat today when we were talking about all the head coaching vacancies. And I said, I didn't feel like there was that hot commodity this year. And you are sometimes a little bit more tuned into this than I am. If you had your druthers, who is the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons next year with all these weapons? I've heard a lot of rumblings that Bill Belichick could be the guy. If oh my, okay. Yeah. If um, ultimately the Patriots decide to move on, which I mean, it's been a couple days since Black Monday, which is typically referred to as the day that a lot of these head coaches get fired. And because we had three coaches fired in season, we didn't really have that level of like axe chopping that we that it feels like we typically have on Black Monday. Um, You know, we only had two and I say only we had two coaches fired on Monday. Obviously, um, uh, Vrabel yesterday on Tuesday, and then um, Pete Carroll moved into the front office on Wednesday today. So, you know, there's a chance, obviously, that Belichick ultimately leaves because maybe they want him to really relinquish the GM duties. Maybe he's against that or at least against doing it in New England. Right. Okay. Like he could ultimately decide that he's not going to relinquish that in New England. They move on. But when he picks his new team, he's fine just being the head coach, right? Yeah. Like, and I feel like that's kind of when you when you listen to some of these um, interviews, like the, the subtle hints and the things that he said. Like Belichick is very calculated with his responses, and I respect him a lot for that. Like he doesn't give the media anything, so it's left up for a lot of interpretation. <laughs> but when he says that he's open to giving up GM duties, yeah, sure, that could be the case. But where you've been the GM for 10 plus years and you end up staying there, why would you give that up if you stay there? That that That's basically admitting defeat at that point, right? But if you move on to a new organization, it's a fresh start. Yeah. So that, that could ultimately be where that power struggle leaves when it comes to New England. But like the, the hot head coach candidate is going to be Ben Johnson with the Detroit Lions. Like, okay. and I don't think there's any... Um, if fans are butts about that, there's going to be a lot of talk, obviously with Jim Harbaugh, I've been on record saying that I thought that if Michigan lost the national championship, he would ultimately come back. But I said, if they won, which they did, he's more likely to come to the pros because he went to Michigan to bring a national championship back. He finally did that. He has unfinished business in the NFL, right? He went to the super bowl and lost. So that's that that's in the back of his head. He wants to get back because he knows that he's a good enough coach that he can take a team to win a championship. So you're going to have teams that will fight for that. And again, he's a good coach. Raiders, I think, will be in the mix. I think Atlanta could potentially be in the mix. I I heard some thoughts about Chicago, but it seems like they're going to move forward with Eberflus, which again, I think is a huge mistake. Not because I don't think Eberflus is a, is a good coach. I just think that you're setting yourself up on that Chicago bears coaching staff to bring in a lame duck offensive coordinator. 
And what I mean by that is, is we've literally seen this with this franchise. They're in a position to draft a quarterback number one overall. They have a head coach who could very well end up getting fired. This is the same shit that happened with Mitch Trubisky. This was the same thing that happened with Matt Nagy, right? The former head coach, John Harbaugh, or not John Harbaugh, excuse me, John Fox, drafts Trubisky and gets fired. Matt Nagy inherits Mitch Trubisky. They end up moving off of Trubisky. He's forced to have Justin Fields. Matt Nagy gets fired. Now Eberflus is stuck with Fields. If a new OC that comes in can't get him right, now this is year four going in for Fields. What's that going to do? It's going to cost Eberflus his job. Yep. And now that a new head coach is gone as well. Correct. So it, it just it's becoming this little trend here in Chicago that like they needed to just clean house, start from scratch get everybody in place, let the head coach pick the quarterback and move on. And that's what I, exactly. Let the head coach, because unless you know you're not firing Eberflus next year as well, because that was what I was going to say is get a new guy in there right now while you're like, look, is it is it Fields or is it Caleb Williams? Tell me right now. <laughs> so so we know what, how we want to move forward with this. And I think it's such an interesting point. Um, I was going to bring up with uh, Jim Harbaugh, do we think uh, Arthur Blank might be scared off of hiring any college football coaches? <laughs> like, I, I don't know if that's going to work out real well. Um, the Bobby Petrino fiasco. But you uh, Belichick. No, like Dan, Dan Canal, Dave Canal, excuse me, the Bucks yeah. offensive coordinator. I've heard his name circulated. Uh, he, I got did he real... go back to Seattle though? I think. Well, that there's that. There's that thought. I've heard that rumor. I've also heard Dan Quinn, who is another hot name in, in head coaching Which circles, and obviously he has a connection there in, in Seattle. And I think with Pete Carroll going into the front office, bringing in somebody that has a connection with him is very likely to be the case. So I think those probably will be the top two guys. I got a really good chuckle out of the Carolina Panthers requesting to interview Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson. Because honestly, please, God, take him. Um, We'll give give you a draft pick. (laughs) Right? Um, yeah, no. And it, it's, yeah. Um, but like you'll have, there, there's, uh, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator with the Ravens, I think has gotten a few requests. Um, it, there, there's definitely some names that'll circulate. There's probably going to be a name or two that none of us even thought was going to be a, a, an option for a team and they end up hiring them. So there, there's definitely going to be some interesting scenarios because you have some teams that, man, they're going to be some projects. And if a, a head coach comes in there without a, an established pedigree, that job could very well be open in 2025, well, which I think is really unfortunate. And, and going back to the Falcons where this whole thing started, uh, you made me think where if Belichick's willing to come in and not be the GM, Terry Fontenot is the GM right there. And, and he came in with Arthur Blank or with Arthur Smith rather. However, these great drafts that we've talked about the Falcons, that's this GM. So let Bill Belichick come in and just coach and let this guy, Terry Fontenot keep doing what he's doing. And you could have some real magic there in Atlanta, but as always, I I think it's a great place to end the show with something Josh has been saying for months. Depends on who the coach is, 
depends on who the quarterback is. That is going to be our take when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons next season. Craig, I see you mentioned your Niners and Steelers. Uh, they both had good seasons a couple of years ago, so they're going to be coming up later on in the series. We are going to cover all 32 teams. We are going to look back and see what our predictions were and what went wrong. And Joe Zolo has promised us, promised He'll be here for the rest of the episode so he can uh, throw his two cents in. Though in Joe's uh, honor, we ran way over on tonight's show. Uh, I'm going to quickly run through this. Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. DFS isn't going anywhere. Josh and Austin are recording shorts to give you guys some showdown slates. Not necessarily short videos, not shorter videos. Yep, exactly. To give you guys showdown slate matchups for all of the DFS matchups coming up in the playoffs. This show, as we mentioned, the only week we take off is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We are going to be spending January talking accountability. And then before you know it, we're going to be talking NFL draft stars at tomorrow. Some of my favorite time of year because it's when I get to learn who the hell these college players are from very, very smart people, people far smarter than I am. So I'm looking forward to that time. But this show is going to be here for you every Wednesday from now until the week before Thanksgiving. So we're going to get you through the postseason. We're going to get you through the draft, the preseason, everything. We're there for you, free agency. And if you just need another DFS fix in your life, Who's your caddy just premiered yesterday. Uh, Kelly and Adam are breaking down the picks. Josh, you know the tournament. I don't know these tournaments very well. Um, uh, it's the Sony Open in Hawaii. The Sony Open in Hawaii. Uh, that show just premiered. These guys crushed their picks last year. So whatever they said, just go throw a little bit of money on. Uh, Josh did that last year, and I know he turned a profit just by taking their picks, putting a little bit of money in their DFS lineups, and it worked out real, real well. Josh, did I miss anything? Any parting words for our friends out there? I believe that's it. All right. We appreciate you guys for riding with us. We will be back a week from today covering eight more teams. I don't have the list in front of me, but it'll be eight more teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be in the exact same theme of this show, but Joe Zola will be back with us. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you in a week. Always remember defense wins championships. Offense wins fantasy football. We'll see you next week.